A good day, everybody. Trevor Hall here with Mining Stock Daily. We have a corporate introduction with a new company we've never before featured on the podcast. Uh, it, it is quite overdue. In fact, there's in in a time where the markets in, in mining and exploration have been pretty volatile, there are a number of names out there that have kind of bucked the trend. And I would put this company up there in that category. That's Patriot Battery Metals. They recently got upgraded to the TSX Venture with the symbol PMET. They also have a U.S. listing on the OTCQB with PMETF. They are working on the Corvette Lithium Project uh, up in Canada, and I'm happy to welcome in CEO Blair Way. Blair, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Trevor. It's great to to be on here and, and have a chance to tell our story. Uh, a few companies have really, uh, like I mentioned, bucked the trend here in exploration, especially in the markets. Uh, you know, I want to kind of talk about the formation of, of Patriot Battery Metals. Um, if you can maybe take a step back before we get into Corvette and talk to us about how this company was formed, what was the genesis of Patriots, and then how did you come about to acquire the Corvette project? Sure. It's got an interesting history. Um, Patriot Battery Metals used to be Gaia Metals, and then before that, 92 Resources, and before that, Rio Grande. And I've had uh, original uh, association with the company back in about 2012, 2013, uh, just as a director, and, and, um, and then I had other things and moved on. But I kept in touch with the guys that were looking after the company. And over that time, that company has obviously went through through a number of changes and and changed names and changed commodities. But during that period, picked up a number of assets. And one of those assets in the last lithium boom was the Corvette property. And it was through an option agreement and staking. And the option agreement was a little bit messy. Only had op- the opportunity to take it to 75% ownership, but it was what it was. And I came on board. We had uh, the company at the time was Gaia Metals and was drilling out a gold property in Idaho. And it's it's a great property, but as we know, gold hasn't really had a whole pile of enthusiasm for some time now. And um, we looked at this. I was asked to come on board and see if we could maybe reinvigorate the company. Um, came on board, took a look at the whole portfolio of assets, and of course, one of them was this lithium asset where there'd been a brief a very short exploration field exploration program where a number of interesting outcrops had been identified. And so speaking with our VP exploration, uh, Darren Smith, who knows the area well, knows Quebec well, knows lithium well, he was very bullish on it and said, look, we really, we really should put some effort into it. And that was really the genesis for how we became Patriots. So looked at the property, we had to tidy up the option agreement a little bit and there was some housekeeping to do. And, you know, if people look back through the history of the company, they can see the steps we went through where we raised some money. Uh, we did a name change, rebrand, a modest rollback, um, raised enough money to do a drill program, some marketing to get eyes on the company about what we were doing. Uh, drill results were great. We had 146 meters at 0.93% was our maiden hole. Um, and prior to that, there'd been very little work done on the ground, a little bit of base metal um, exploration got back in, I think the late seventies. And uh, there was one report that noted uh, spodumene, green spodumene crystals. Uh, on one outcrop in one line, and our guys picked that up and used that to re- re- really stake the ground, and then that's how we found the ground that was owned by O3, and we optioned that ground as well. So it's kind of an interesting story how we got to where we are, and then we raised the money, did the drilling, and um, uh, you know we can go into more detail uh, after the drilling process, but 
we we went through a number of steps to get here and and certainly tidying up tidying up the option agreement was important so now we have 100 percent ownership of 214 square kilometers 50 kilometer trend at the corvette uh, district uh, lithium district was it was this uh, reinvigorated new battery metals um market was it somewhat of the catalyst to really rebrand into Patriot Battery Metals, uh, specifically with the lithium, or was this something that maybe was in the works, you know, you know, before uh, lithium had this, you know, really nice market run? To be honest, I think it was a bit of just perfect timing for us. The gold was not working. I came on board. We were finishing a drill program, as I said, in Idaho. The results were good, um, but the market wasn't responding, and we actually looked to raise some money for that and realized that wasn't going to happen, and we really had to sit down and a rethink, and that's when I basically, we, we went through all the assets and said, all right, how should we tackle these? And I'm not one for pivoting, and I really hate the use of the term, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do to build a company, and that asset um, has certainly enabled us to do so, and so we did take a look at that property said you know what we need to focus on this lithium is certainly demonstrating to be much more interesting than gold to the to the greater markets uh the battery space all the all the growth and demand for lithium and just the changes in canada and quebec and ontario specifically with battery plants and all the all the bullishness associated with battery materials it just made sense and and we actually did find some cornerstone investors that were willing to support that and that was a huge help to get us over that hump we got over the hump, we raised the money, and once the drill delivered, um, you know, in a, in a way you can say the rest is history, but in actual mm -hmm. fact, there's still a ton of work that we've done since those first drill holes, and we have a ton more work to do, but we do believe we have something pretty spectacular. Uh, you've had just a really <coughs> spectacular run here over the last year or so. I mean, anybody can go take a look at the charts. I mean, it was about I mean, as though it was about 20 25 cents at one time last fall ran up to over four dollars here i want to ask you about this the the structural transition of the company uh i mean you're currently sitting at about a 225 million dollar canadian market cap uh it, it looks like about 85 million shares outstanding uh, talk about the structural changes with the transition, the rebranding of the company. What changed and kind of, you know, before you had this nice little run up here in market? Yeah, so it was only 12 months ago. June 30th um, was when we did that first financing to drill mm. at the Corvette property. So we tr did try to raise money for the gold property and it was a struggle. And we realized it was just going to really dilute the company and probably not really give us any legs. So. Uh, we had to go back to sort of base again. As I said, we reviewed the assets, decided our right, lithium is the way to go. We found the cornerstone investors, but part of those, part of that process was we did have to do a modest rollback, but was able to speak to existing shareholders. Say, look, if we only roll back three to one, that allows us to get a nice tight structure. We can then move forward with proper funding to drill the property, and if the property delivers, everyone will come out on top, and they have. I mean, we delivered on that promise. So we did do a modest rollback. So we started out with basically, uh, I think it was about 15, 10, 15 million shares, did a 20, a 16 cent financing with a full 25 cent warrant. And that was just June 30th last year. And those warrants have actually, it was tw roughly 23 million shares, another 23 million warrants. And those 23, 23 million warrants has been helping us with hard dollars um, ever since because they're well and truly in the money. And so that, that June 30th financing got us through the drill program, 
got the attention through marketing and through the drill results um, of that you know first four holes into the into the CB5 area, and that got the attention of some Australian investors who were familiar with hard rock uh, lithium deposits, and they loved what they saw, and that was how we then were able to do just before Christmas. We did another uh, we did a flow through financing uh, like a week before Christmas, and that was 11 million dollars and. The great thing about flow through is everybody knows what it's for. It's not for fancy boardrooms and all that rubbish. It's for actually doing work on the ground. And the the guys in Australia, I knew them remotely, but this was an opportunity. We we trusted them and they trusted us. They volunteered to do a 12-month lockup on their shares and warrants um, just as a way to sort of good faith. So we now have this great runway. We have the $11 million of flow through. They also assisted when I funded the acquisition to 100%, which was closed in March. And there was a bunch of blocks of land that I'd been working on and had them all tied up. And we closed that. Uh, there was another $4 million financing, and I think it was $0.52. Cents. So it does end up where, yes, we're at 85, 85 million shares um, fully diluted. We're 125 million shares. And we still have over $18 million in $0.75 cent warrants um, in place, which will be available um, they're in a 12-month lockup, so December, and then there's another batch of uh, 75-cent warrants, which is probably another three or four million, mm. um, in uh, in March. So, and the 25-cent warrants, as I said, from last June have been coming in pretty steadily. We <laughs> we it was 23 million, so 25 cents. That was that was a significant amount of, of free, you know, um, hard dollars coming in. So. That's helped us fund our hard dollar requirements moving forward, and and uh, yeah, it's as you said, it's been quite a. It seems like sort of a mystery run, and and really part of it was we just got down and raised the money, did the work. Uh, we didn't go crazy with marketing and promoting because the property has been able to deliver the mm-hmm. the results that gets the attention of the right types of investors, and we've we've had a very healthy run as a result of that. Yeah, I, I, I do want to ask you about the property, uh, but before we get there, I just want one clarification. Um, did the the major Australian investors, did they also come in and participate in this flow-through financing of $11 million? Yes, that's correct. That was majority oh, wow. of that, yeah, the majority of that $11 million was was uh, Australian. Interesting. So they have some sort of entity cause you, uh, that is Canadian-based. Uh, no charity flow throughs. It's the end users. So oh, okay. So it's actually the the tax benefits through a charity flow through stay in Canada, but the end the end buyers of the shares. It's kind of an unusual. I I didn't know a great deal about it, but it actually is very effective, and and huh. the Australians love the fact that that money has to be spent on the ground. So you're already establishing a huge trust right at the start of of a relationship, yeah. as you know, with sort of new money. I, I, yeah, I guess I'm naive as well because I thought those flow-through charity financings were just meant for Canadian investors solely because they would be the ones that would get nope, the tax benefit out. It's quite an interesting process, but it does the Canadian investors invest, or, or there's like a yeah. The, the process is there are Canadian investors that benefit from the tax benefits, um, mm-hmm. and then the those shares are then donated to a charity, and then the charity sells those to. To, to get the money so the end uh, users buy those shares from the charity and and those end users are ideally who we as a company define not just sort of some random investors who we don't know and that's that's the key to a charity flow through is you need to be able to pin down your end users so you know who's who's actually ending up with your shares but it's uh, a very effective process uh, well that's what that's something i learned today yeah. 
more you know. Uh, <laughs> all right, when I first, it was new to me uh, uh, six months ago. So I, or I guess more than that, ten, eight months I, ago, I was like, "Are you sure this works this way?" And, and it does. We we had a great uh, group. Uh, Pear Tree helped us pull this all together, and and that was fantastic. And they oh yes, over and over again. Yeah, they're kind of like the uh, godfathers of uh, flow through financings yeah. anymore. And they like. they they were fantastic. They they yeah. pull up, pulled it together for us and explained it to us, and and it was all it always worked very well. Okay, all right, uh, Blair. Let's do talk about the Corvette project here. Um, you know, obviously the exploration results have been quite incredible. Uh, you're seeing very wide intervals of nice grades. Uh, of lithium here uh you know talk to us maybe describe to us where corvette is and geologically what you're seeing what kind what type of mineralization uh are you discovering here yep so we're in the northern james bay region we're 15 kilometers away from the trans tiaga road and the and the quebec hydro or james bay hydro power scheme so we're fortunate to be very close to infrastructure roads 15 kilometers away and the power line, which is cheap green hydropower, is 15 kilometers away. As a crow flies, it's about 1,100 kilometers north of Montreal. That's the easiest way to find it. It's almost due north of Montreal, a little bit west of north. Uh, it's actually very easy to find on Google Earth once you know what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, so we staked the ground as a result, as I mentioned earlier. The, the, our, our geological team identified in an old report from either the 70s or early 80s, and it was one mention of one oak crop that mentioned in passing no pegmatite, but it was uh, it was in French. It was Vert uh, Cristal de Spod, and the guys go, that might be spodumene. So they looked on the satellite imagery, and they could see that it looked like pegmatite. So we staked as much ground as they could, saw that O3 old hold, held some of the ground, and they were not interested in that for gold, and and certainly were not interested for lithium. So they uh, they they were able to set up an option agreement. That was before my time, and it established or it was an option agreement for a fair chunk of ground. And there was a few patches in it that were not quite filled in, but at, at that point that was enough ground for what we needed. Um, and and yeah, so it's a it's a greenstone belt. If you look at our presentation that was just refreshed on the website last night um, or this morning. And it shows basically the greenstone belt, and that greenstone belt is host to the uh, pegmatite intrusion. And what we found, it's 50 kilometers long. Uh, it's 214 square kilometers. So it's a big chunk of ground. And our guys went on early days back in 2018 and probably spent four or five days, found these oak crops, uh, pegmatite oak crops, which had spo clear spodumene crystals in there. So the lithium-bearing mineral is spodumene, and certainly our MET work that we've done today, which is early stay, or sorry, not MET work, mineralogi mineralogical work that we've done today, shows that it's about 86 to 99% of the lithium deportment is from, from spodumene. For the, so basically, spodumene is our primary lithium mineral. Can I, can I quickly interrupt you with one question? Uh, yeah. you, uh, thank you for clarifying spodumene, because... When when we get into lithium mineralization, you know things it's it's a little bit it's different because most of us are is it can be a little confusing. Thank you for recognizing that. So what is the the uh, pegmatite? So I mean the pegmatite is is an intrusive rock. It's it's essentially okay. um, it's igneous. It's yeah it's an intrusive igneous rock called pegmatite, and and it does have various mineralogy 
that can be accompanied with it, and it can often have, you know, uh, spodumines, but also, you know, feldspars, all kinds of other okay. uh, other minerals associated with it, which will define the type of pegmatite it is. And in our case, it is a spodumene pegmatite, which is great. And these outcrops that have been identified over, certainly over the 25 kilometers that they quickly surveyed in 2018, looked great. But one of them was CV5, which was a massive outcrop. Uh, it's 220 meters by about 40 meters at surface. And that was where we put the first drill holes, and it sort of made sense to build, drill a, put a drill underneath it and see what's going on. And that was that first drill hole at 146 meters at 0.93%. We moved it east 100 meters, and that was 155 meters at 0.94%. Flipped the rig over to the other side of the outcrop, so you're trying to get a feel of what really is happening strike and dip-wise. And that, I think, was, off the top of my head now, I've got the number, I think it was 65 meters and again, that was around 1.1%, I think. So we were seeing consistent uh, sort of close to 1% uh, lithium content in a pretty decent intervals. And then we looked at CV1, which is about, I think it's about 1, 1.1 kilometer away across a lake. And we said, I wonder if it's connected because there was similar mineralogy, mm -hmm. similar chemistry. And so that's what we set with our drill program. We had the 11 million flow through. We said, if we connect these, we're now going to have close to two kilometer corridor. And so that's what we did all winter. We did, we drilled on the lake because it's frozen. Obviously, that's the easiest time to drill on the water, although we have organized for a barge this summer so we can continue drilling on the lake. But yeah, we basically drilled under CV5, got great results, CV, and a CV6, which is a bit uh, 400 meters to the west. And then we decided, let's see if we can connect CV1 to CV5. And that, what we did, that is what we did over the winter. And then this summer, we've got the same two drill rigs. They've been on site now since uh, February this year. And they're continuing to drill. A third rig is showing up on site as well. I think it's actually mobilizing as we speak. And that third rig will also be helping us drill out that corridor, which is essentially now two-kilometer corridor. And that's from CV6 to CV5 to CV1. It's open to the east, and it's open to depth. So some of the holes we're drilling now are also deeper holes. So there's slower holes because we're drilling five to 600 meter deep holes to find out what the extent this is to depth. But uh, so far, um, we'll, we will be reporting more on the summer program as we get some results. But we're seeing great results or we're seeing what we expect to see in the great in respect to the drilling this summer. But we also had a field crew on the ground for the past four or five weeks, which is considerably more time than we've ever had any time on the ground. And they've gone to each of the identified outcrops, and again, we'll be putting a press release out on that, but it's gone very well, and we are very happy with what we're seeing. The, you know, in your presentation, you've got, you got a lot of great images here. The one that catches my attention is this CV5 pegmatite outcrop. I mean, it's really impressive. Yeah. It, it's kind of amazing that anybody yeah. could not see this thing because it's, I mean, I'm not obviously not a geologist, and I'm looking at that. It's like, how could you, anybody miss something like that? So I'm just kind of curious, like, as far as the drilling that has done, ha, that has been um, assayed, what is the depth of this mineralization? I mean, is it, ba I mean, do you assume that all the, these pegmatite structures are basically mineralized from surface on down? Yeah, I mean, you keep in mind, if you, if you imagine, I mean, I try and simplify this as an analogy. If you, if you have a vanilla cake and then you inject some chocolate inside it and sort of drag it out as you as you inject it it's a little bit like that so it can ebb and ebb and flow and and, and swell and and shrink so it's not a nice it, what we have is a pretty consistent pegmatite body 
but it still has some 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 shrinkage and some some wider sections as you move like it, pegmatite an intrusive igneous body is really like putting chocolate inside a vanilla cake as it melts it sort of moves around and has unusual unpredictable structure but we've been very fortunate with what we've seen today massive outcrop so that made it as you said easy to say geez where should we drill first but as we're drilling across the lake we're seeing that outcrop or you know that structure continue and it is almost a toberone we this is the term we've come up with the guys we were talking about it it's like a toberone wedge where it is thicker at depth but we still have to drill at depth to understand what's going on it doesn't necessarily all come if you imagine it's coming up from multiple sources and sort of spills in and might join or is it one continuous crack where it's all come up and made more like a cigar shape mm. um, so that's what the drilling will determine but so far we've seen depths up to 260 odd feet or sorry 260 meters so um, as as we continue to drill both infill and also step outs which will give us deeper uh, deeper intercepts and it also we can also define if there are there any other parallel uh, pegmatite structures because these things don't usually occur in one linear structure there's multiple structures and so far we have seen other other parallel structures which we're starting to map and then the drill the drills have also identified some I think we mentioned it in one of our last uh, couple news releases where there are there are, we are encountering parallel structures which we need to drill more to understand mm. what that actually means but the short answer to your question is depth is certainly somewhere around 250 to 260 meters but it does ebb and flow so we have to drill at regular intervals 100 meter type intervals so we know what it looks like as we step either from the east to the west and it, and it is still open to east and west so we've we've right. discovered oat crops smaller oat crops to the east and west of our last drill holes so we are looking at continuing to drill east and west plus cv4 which is an oat crop which is about three kilometers east of cv1 is it's interesting because obviously there's lake in between the lake doesn't mean there's no pegmatite there and and we are actually looking at at, at the field work to see is there any other pegmatite outcrops between cv4 and cv1 and so far we we are getting some indication that there are we just have to get the results on them and we can look in the shallow island the little shallow it's a shallow lake so there's lots of little outcrops and little islands within that lake as well that appears to have some of this pegmatite so our, towards the end of the summer we'll know more about what's going on in that lake to the east but if if there was a connection between cv1 all the way to cv4 i mean that's now a, a right. five kilometer trend which would be incredible and we're, we're not there yet we have a ton of work as i as i've said right from the get-go we have a lot of drilling here to demonstrate the scale of what we have but we do believe we have something that's a scale beyond anything anyone's ever seen in, in well, quebec and you would think that if it was all one structure, they would come from one massive single source. I mean, does that how a pegmatite would usually work? I mean, it, it, wouldn't that be kind of yeah. further down the road exploration, like try to get deep enough to figure out where the source for these structures is coming from? Absolutely. And, and you know, the greenstone belt has created that sort of weak spot in the earth's crust where the pegmatite has been able to find its way, mm. you know, you know, up. And of course, as the ground has been, uh, the land has been eroded away. Now we're seeing the pegmatite. It wasn't, it was intrusive. It's not like, it's not like it was a volcano and it came out and we're, we're looking at sort of volcanics or basalts. This was relatively, it was just intrusive 
and was buried and has now been, you know, with the erosion over millions of years, we're now seeing this peg. It, what was intrusive is now on surface. And um, what's interesting is you can look at the chemistry. The spodumene crystals do do change, you know, in the way, and that's a function of how they will have cured, so as to speak. So was it cooked? Did it cool down fast or slower? And that that somehow controls does control this this the structure of the spodumene crystals as well as just the chemistry. But we are seeing certainly between the samples that we took all the way to the west at CV9, I think it is, and then CV8, CV12, CV1. The chemistry is very similar, so we're we're certainly optimistic that we will probably find similar similar sort of structures underneath. But again, the drill has to tell us that we can we can hypothesize all we want, but we do have to do a lot of drilling, right. no question. Right. Um, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about the challenges of, challenges of exploring here and drilling here. And you mentioned it before. There is a lake. There is a tremendous amount of water here. Uh, tell us about you know. Is that going to kind of come into play and provide some sort of headwind uh, in the future? I mean, obviously, you can test these outcrops and find new structures, but when you're creating some sort of geological model, you're going to have to come at this thing at different angles here. And I would assume that this all this water is going to provide some difficulties in trying to get to those specific angles. Maybe less in the winter when you can drill on ice, but how, how are you working this? So as far as the exploration, the winter, uh, the water really isn't an issue. Um, we can use a barge in the summer and we use the ice in the winter. And if we plan it out right, you know, the biggest challenge at working in the area that we are is that, you know, during equinox, the fall, you know, fall time and springtime is foggy. So you can't use helicopters and, and a large part of this program is supported by helicopters. But otherwise, the years, the, the seasons are, you know, summer is wide open and winter is wide open. Okay. It's just the transition from spring, you know, the snow is melting, you just need some, you just have to go away for a month or two and then it's thawed out and you're good. Um, longer term, as far as developing the property, a lot of people have asked this question about the lake. Firstly, it's a very shallow, um, certainly we've seen it less than a meter deep in a lot of places. I think probably the deepest, deepest is multiple meters, but it's, it's, it's a, it is a small lake. We're doing some early environmental testing on it, flow rates and things like that. But we don't see it as being sort of a, a major lake like you'd see in cottage country where, where there's fishing and, and boating okay. and certainly there's no people around it and there's very little sort of activity associated with the shallow glacial lake. So as far as the Quebec Act, we are permitted as a mineral tenement holder to drain a lake to gain access to that deposit. In respect to mining it, in a way the lake does make it a little bit easier. The, obviously, it comes right to surface, so our stripping ratios are going to be pretty forgiving. I mean, two or three to one is most likely. You wouldn't go down much deeper than five or six hundred meters for an open pit anyways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the opportunity to dry stack tails, and there are areas around that we've already been able to identify, which would be a great spot for dry stacking uh, tails. So we wouldn't be suggesting we'd put tails in a lake or anything like that. Right, right. So, Permitting wise, there's no question that it, it, there's a process that you have to go through, but Quebec and Canada as a whole is quite accustomed to uh, mines, whether they're mostly open pits that are within an area that has a lot of water around. The water can be beneficial. Um, obviously, the water to the north providing all the hydro energy is great. The other thing, the, the area that we're working in is just south of, the, south of the hydro scheme. So it's out of the hydro scheme. But that area was also extensively studied during the development of the hydro scheme. So there's quite a bit of historical 
data, environmental data that's available as well. So we're we're drawing on that already, doing desktop studies to understand if there's any sort of risk or concerns about it. The other thing, of course, is a number of these outcrops, we don't know for sure we've drilled the best area yet. A lot of these outcrops aren't sitting in lakes. So it's possible that we may find more somewhere else and we'll put this one on the back burner until we need it. Um, not saying that's the case, but we do have a number of, uh, you know, it's 50 kilometers of trend. We're only working on two kilometers. So there is a lot of opportunity, a lot of blue sky yet. And that's really one of the messages for the company is we're not, we're not a 50 million ton deposit like we believe are going to be significantly more than that. We believe triple digits. Um, how many triple digits? The drill will tell us that. We need time. But we are looking for something that has the scale that could support a, a lithium hydroxide plant for multiple decades to supply the battery industry for multiple decades. And when we, you know, we have spoken to some of the majors, lithium companies that do already have the technology to produce a, a lithium hydroxide from a hard rock concentrate, uh, spodumene concentrate we're not going to be one of those companies that think we're going to be everything to everybody we know what we have and as a miner we believe that what we should target is building uh, uh the biggest possible deposit biggest possible resource to be able to produce the longest life for a spodumene concentrate six percent which will feed into a lithium hydroxide plant that somebody who already knows how to do it will be doing and we see our property as being quite a quite a, a good opportunity for people with the capabilities to enter into the North American market if they're not there yet. So we we see this as we're miners, we're building a mine and it will, it will create, uh, produce a spodumene concentrate, but that spodumene concentrate ideally will be processed in North America for North American industry. Uh, Blair, I, I, I've taken up a lot of your time and, and I want to be cognizant of that. Uh, yeah. And I think there's a number of questions that I think we're going to have to table towards our next discussion because I, I would love, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are asking about, would like to know about the lithium market and also the ideas of uh, manufacturers coming in as uh, some sort of way as either investors or stakeholders in lithium and new battery metal uh, projects, but let's table that for the next discussion yeah. because there's there's a lot there's a lot just in that, and we've already covered a lot. Uh, so I'd <laughs> I'd welcome I'd welcome to have you back on here in the next coming months and and see where we're at. But thank you so much for this introduction into Patriot Battery and Metals. You've got a great project here, and I really look forward to seeing the exploration work that and results that get announced here in the coming weeks and months. Thanks, Trevor. I look forward to speaking again, and I'll be happy to have a chat. We, we will be putting results out shortly. And yeah, maybe that's an opportunity. We have a chat about the results and talking about the battery space and the battery market. I've had almost 10 years in the battery space and graphite and lithium. And and uh, yeah, that that's a whole different discussion right. for sure. And, and look, there are a lot of experts out there or probably know a lot more than I do, but um, the key the key to that is sort of <laughs> keeping a level head. I think All it's right. a very excited space, but yeah, I look forward to having a chat. All right. That's Blair Way. He is the CEO of Patriot Battery Metals. They do trade on the TSX Venture with P-M-E-T and on the OTCQB in the United States with P-M-E-T-F. Uh, we're going to take a break here. We'll be back more later today with more from Mining Stock Daily. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.